from Trimble Construction, you're listening to the Connected Construction Show, where we connect you to the contractors, owners, designers, engineers, and construction professionals who are finding better ways to work. And now, here's your host, Matt Sprague. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Connected Construction Show. I am your host, Matt Sprague. Uh, we have a a special, not only episode, but uh, a series of episodes ahead of you. Um, as you can see here alongside me, I have four uh, distinguished gentlemen uh, with me. Um, and we are going to explore um, really a, a, a kind of a, a topic um, from three different perspectives and vantage points. So we're going to we're going to talk about a topic about data availability uh from the perspective of um the assets life cycle. So we're going to look at the um operation and maintenance. So what is what does data availability mean in that part portion of an asset life cycle uh in the build phase as well as um obviously the planning and design phase as well i got them a little bit of out, out of order there but uh that's what these four gentlemen are here to help me with today is to put everything uh right so um before we get going on the topic at hand um i want to uh we'll kind of go around the horn a little bit and uh make introductions so instead of me introducing everybody i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go around and please uh, to the attendees to, to our listeners um Introduce yourself, uh, where you're from, uh, and and how you kind of came up through uh, through in in the industry, how you got to where you are today. So I'll uh, I'll start with uh, uh, Joe McHugh. Sure, thanks, Matt, and hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Joe McHugh. I'm a GIS manager at the Chicago Department of Aviation, which manages both O'Hare and Midway International Airports. Um, my background is actually in GIS. Um, I studied that in college. Um, I went on to be a, a GIS technician and analyst at People's Gas, which is the natural gas utility company in Chicago. I uh, worked there for about six years uh, doing um, as-built data entry and uh, data analysis on the gas system. I'm now I'm at O'Hare trying to apply a lot of those kinds of things for you know, the infrastructure at an airport. Uh, which is kind of like a, a city unto itself. Um, thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Joe. All right, I'll kick it over to Aaron Ford. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Aaron Ford. Um, I am the PMCM Enterprise Digital Innovation Manager at HNTB, um, and been with HNTB for a little over 14 years now. Worked very closely with with Joe and Zach. Um, have had the opportunity to to work with uh, MMSD and, and Rick as well in the past. Came up as actually a, a GIS uh, application developer, uh, working with uh, several uh, state engineering um, companies within Wisconsin, uh, where I live, um, and developing geospatial applications to to solve uh, state and local municipal. Um, challenges to, to be able to, to take data that was traditionally relegated to kind of um, county clerks and requiring people to come into, you know, buildings and facilities and now being able to, to access that over a, a web browser uh, to, to look at uh, parcel property information, etc. So um, have kind of 
extended that over the years and now help to, to manage program management, construction management, and um, enterprise systems deployments for, for various uh, transportation agencies. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Aaron. Uh, Zach Lewis, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, sure. Uh, Zach Lewis. Uh, I currently work for uh, the Connection Pilot Alliance, which is a program manager uh, arm for the ORD21 program um, at O'Hare Airport. Um, work closely with both Aaron Ford and Joe McHugh. Um, prior to that, I a civil engineer by education. Uh, started my career in construction management, uh, delivering you know various types of project uh, projects, which has then eventually evolved into interest in building information modeling, uh, trade coordination, um, and dabbled a little bit into asset management, but also uh, moved into prefabrication and looking for progressive ways of you know delivering components uh, ahead of time um, on projects. And then at the Connect Chicago Alliance on the RD21 program, responsible for digital delivery and uh, establishing CAD BIM standards and paving the way for, you know, long-term asset management systems. Awesome. Thank you. And last but not least, Rick, it's just uh, the way it showed up on my screen here. we got Rick Niederstadt. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Um, so, yeah, Rick Niederstadt from the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District. Uh, I've, been in the, uh, I've been in the industry for about 25 years. Uh, I'm currently the uh, Capital Program Support Manager for MMSD, but I really um, cut my teeth in the world of construction management. Um, so I'm a civil and environmental engineer by school and, I guess, a jack-of-all-trades, master of none by, uh, by life experience. Um, after construction management, uh, basically moved up in the organization doing a variety of different things, but I'm, I'm presently in charge of our capital improvement program, which uh, includes our project controls group, um, our geospatial services and solutions group, which does obviously a lot of GIS and CAD and BIM-related activities, as well as our construction management and survey teams. So uh, as, a, as a capital program owner with, uh, with a couple of significant um, water reclamation facilities and a private operating agreement for those facilities, um, <clears throat> we certainly have some interesting and unique needs relative to uh, data availability and data accessibility, you know, across the whole life cycle of an asset. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting to see this, those different perspectives from all those stakeholders, uh, depending on, on, on what stage of life an asset happens to be in. Fantastic. Now we got to know all of you. We're going we're gonna to dig into this. So like I mentioned uh, at the beginning, at the beginning of the show, this is going to be a uh, multiple part series. Um, we, we at the Connected Construction Show, we don't want to put on like a, a one hour uh, podcast. So we're going to kind of break this down into consumable pieces. And there was great uh, 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 synergy in terms of the asset life cycle. And, um, and as the asset life cycle pertains to the overarching topic of data availability. So before we step into the first first portion of this, can we let, and I open this up to anybody who wants to answer it, all four of you can answer it if you want. At a very high level, what are we talking about here? What What is data availability? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kick off of that one, Matt, because I think, um, you know, especially from my perspective, depending on, on where you are at in a particular organization, it means something else, um, you know, depending on your perspective, right? If you're, if you're in the world of operations and maintenance, um, clearly you want, 
uh, data that's available that helps your job from the perspective of O&M. If you're designing or planning a project, um, you know, that's a little bit different. If you're constructing a project, it's also a little bit different. Um, you know, so, you know, if you take any particular piece of equipment or asset or building or whatever you want to call it, right? Maybe there's maybe there's 50 pieces of data that are of some relevance to any of those stakeholders, right? But maybe um, if you're on the O&M side, you're particularly interested in, in 15 of those pieces and, and design and planning, you know, maybe a different 15 and so on and so forth. But I think what's critically important is that across that spectrum of stakeholders, there's maybe 15 or 20% of that data that's applicable to all of them. Right. Um, you know, there's nuances and, and there's minutiae that's specific to each particular stakeholder type, but there's some data commonality. And, and in my world, it's that it's those common data pieces that we really want to make sure that we can give everybody access to so that they can efficiently then dive deeper and, and get the, the more intricate details of what they're after. Yeah, that's that's great, Rick. And when I think of data, I think about you know accuracy and consistency of the data and how we can transform that data into to information so that the folks that are viewing that and for their respective purposes have confidence in the decisions they're making based on that data, um, and that it's presented to them in a way that that helps tell that story that that's relevant to them. Looking at granular pieces of data, as I often look at it, um, can, can be challenging. So leveraging the right tools and, and mechanisms to, to transform that data into to information to then allow individuals to process it, turn that into knowledge, um, and to make sure that the proper standards, uh, specifications are in place for how that data is captured, uh, how it's maintained, and then the appropriate audience that that information um, is ultimately relayed to. Um, so that we, we have control around the data and the information, and we have proper measures in place for, for those that are viewing it, using it, and know the proper levels um, and length that they can take that that uh, extrapolation to. And, you know, Sioux Level is a great example. And I know Zach and, and Joe can talk to this. Um, we want to make sure that we have, you know, the proper uh, guide rails or guardrails around the, the, the data, certain information, we still want to show, but if we can put a, a lower level Sioux confidence around it, um, maybe we don't make as you know critical a decision around that uh, that that particular asset or feature until we've gone out and, and, and done additional investigation on it. Versus one that may have a higher confidence, we, we can perhaps make more design level decisions off of it um, without having to go out and, and necessarily put the same level of, of rigor in to to verify its its location um, and inaccuracy. So. It, it's, it's a wide ranging uh, capability, but I think having the data there to at least know that an asset exists um, is better than, than not. And then putting that, that scale there as to the, the type of um, decisions that can get made off of it is, is equally important. So what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hearing from, from both of you, um, and it, it's, it's really kind of the reason why we designed uh, the, this series the way it is, is that um, the, the data uh, can can be different, doesn't have to be, can be different in every single phase. Um, the challenges are different uh, in order to get that data in every single phase. Um, and then the challenges are, uh, well, maybe the challenges are the same in terms of organizing 
the data. Um, cause I, I know I've, I've had experiences with, with, um, organizations. I have a friend, I, I live in New Hampshire. I have a friend who works for, uh, uh, department of transportation up here in the Northeast. And, uh, you know, he just basically said, we, we've got, we've got a lot of data. Nobody knows how to get it and nobody knows where it is. And that's, that's, that, that's the problem. So, and I, I saw some chuckles. Is that, is, am, am I encapsulating this correctly? Yeah, I think in a nutshell, you got it, right? I mean, there there is a lot of data, uh, huge huge amounts of data, depending on where you're at, and um, making it useful and making it available is the is the challenge of our our current era. I think. Yeah, I'd agree, and, and not all data is is necessarily good data or information that's worth um, maintaining and, and keeping up. So we we really have to listen to our stakeholders, um, and and what are the stories they want to be able to tell with the data, and what's the required data to to be able to to tell those stories. So I, I think that's a critical answer. We we need to have the end in mind. Um, we also need to understand that we don't need to achieve that end tomorrow. But we do need to start working incrementally to, to reach that, that final destination, whatever that may be, in terms of, of stories and, and knowledge we want to be able to, to pull out of this data. Um, you know, we, we, we go to conferences all the time, right? And, you know, we, we hear all these success stories and we see kind of that, that you know, three, four, five-year journey that an agency has gone on. And a lot of times, you know, folks want to get there tomorrow, Right but they don't know how to necessarily apply that story to, to their own agency, um, to their own assets. And often a lot of that legwork and, and trials and tribulation that you know went into that, that great presentation that you see at a conference is hard to relay. And it, it starts with having a clear understanding of who, who your project champions are. Um, what is it that we, we want to, to ultimately accomplish, but, but how can we start at that, that first step um, with a particular project? Right. We don't need to tackle all assets. Maybe we focus on a particular asset type that's of particular importance. We have a lot of, you know, water main, you know, breaks in the winter time because of, of old utilities. Maybe we focus on water. Uh, maybe we start looking at, at age of utilities and, and you know, and the like, um, or certain types of material or, you know, uh, cathodic testing, you know, that, that hasn't been, been maintained. So starting small um, is, I think, a really important step in that journey. But then but having that end in mind. So, you know, we've kind of talked in the past, you know, everyone sees BIM too, right? And they see digital twin and they have that kind of on the front of their minds, but you, we don't need to have full LOD up front in our, you know, preliminary design stages. We, we can start small, but we need to start with a model first approach so that each stage, as you noted, Matt, builds upon itself so that ultimately when we get to the end of a construction project, it, it is designed and, and been, um, built in such a way that it feeds into an asset management system. We don't have to transcribe or, you know, pull data from a myriad of different sources. It, it's all been properly thought through um, and, and organized in a way that supports that end. Cool. All right. So we've got the overarching kind of ideas about data availability. And now let's, I want to, I want to kind of double click down uh, in terms of from the perspective of, and we're going to start with operations and maintenance. Um, so from that perspective, like what are the biggest challenges to maintain, maintaining um, reliable asset data and information? Uh, 
Oh, J- Joe or Zach, you guys got 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 somewhere to go with that. Joe looks like you're 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 at bated breath. Yeah, I'll kick us off with that subject, right? So I'm on the owner's side, right? I work for the Chicago Department of Aviation. It's a department of the city of Chicago. Um, so my colleagues, you know, at CDA are the ones that are taking care of the assets once they're designed and construction and put into service. Um, and the ch- there are many challenges, right? You know, it's it's a matter of arming people with tools, I think, to to capture information so that um, things don't stay in, you know, their minds or their memories. Um, that's sort of, I think, a, a common historical practice, um, you know, because there weren't a lot of um, tools of the trade that would allow people to do this. So, you know, things were left up to individuals' memories or they would jot things down on notes or paper tickets or work order tickets on paper and the papers would be filed away in a filing cabinet. Um, and that information became difficult to access over time. So, you know, what we're talking about, I think here are assets and infrastructure components that have really long lifetimes that sometimes span beyond individuals' careers in a particular field, right? So we're talking about, you know, whether it's pipelines, roads, buildings, things that are going to be around for likely decades and throughout the duration of their service, you know, there could be any number of people that are performing inspections or maintenance or repairs on those assets. And the difficulty, I think, is in arming people with a consistent approach and tools to capture information throughout the life cycle of the asset. So if it starts, you know, say a, a, an asset was installed in the 1950s prior to, you know, modern computer technology, um, there was a process at that time that needs to somehow live on and be uh, captured and evolve with technology such that, that that knowledge is not lost to time. And certainly we want to prevent um, scenarios where, you know, an individual uh, was a subject matter expert in a particular type of asset or performing certain kinds of O&M or repair activities on something and not documenting those activities, but they have a, you know, a great picturesque memory. Um, but that memory, you know, only works for that one particular individual and whomever may have come into contact with them. Um, and that's not really a, a long-term sustainable approach to capturing what went on, what activities went on with that particular um, piece of equipment or, or infrastructure. Um, so the challenge really is, like I said, um, building some consistency and processes of capturing information and allowing that process to evolve with technology over time uh, such that we don't lose knowledge or lose information from the past. We need to be able to capture that information and carry it on into, you know, the new exciting technology that, you know, a lot of us here on, uh, on this call are really excited about, but, you know, may not have been around or there may not have been really any interest in that decades ago. Joe, it's interesting. You, you just said a word that, tri- that kind of triggered me a little bit, right? Is uh, in, in, in a good way. Um, is the evolving, right? So it's in, and I think it's important, uh, evolving's a, a, it's a, it never stops, right? So like with the, what we have in our mind and what we're going to talk about today and in the series are about like pieces of that 
data availability evolution, asset management evolution. Um, but but we we there's going to be bigger and better things as well. I hope there's bigger and better things as we continue to evolve and whatnot. So I, I, I don't know. It, it, it set me off there for a second. So thank you for bringing that up. Certainly. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, my colleagues made great comments a few minutes ago about reliability and trust of, of information and data, right? Like why are we capturing data if it's not trustworthy or mm. the end user has no, you know, ability to make a decision based on that data. Right. And, and so that, that same logic applies to data or information captured decades ago before computer systems. All of this stuff needs to be kind of merged together into what we know of as the truth about, you know, infrastructure and, and how to take care of it. Um, so the past really needs to help inform that, you know, trust and reliability of the data. You know, I, I think about, you know, the, uh, there's always the intersection of people, process, and technology. And, you know, what I think has seen the biggest growth in the, you know, probably the last 10, 20 years is, you know, the technology has gotten so much better. Um, the challenge really, you know, I think everyone on this call um, is, you know, is understanding the, you know, the people in the processes that exist. Um, and I think, you know, data essentially left alone is, is devolved into chaos just by, nat but by, by its very nature. Um, and again, it has to do with the you know, changing of guard as certain staff move in and out of programs. Um, and then also the systems that are implemented, um, you know, whether they're prevailing or legacy systems, you know, at the time, um, you know, it's a constant upkeep, I think, is what, you know, we're discovering. Um, and, you know, setting a baseline standardization um, is not really a one and done type of thing. You know, uh, I think to Joe's point, you know, taking that digitizing a, a asset that sold in the 1950s. Um, in the year 2022, you know, doesn't establish it, you know, necessarily long-term, um, you know, throughout the rest of, you know, in perpetuity, right? It, there's, there's kind of an ever-evolving baseline that need to, needs to be established. Um, and it, what's also, I think, been interesting with, you know, the evolution of technology is, you know, looking at, you know, and I come from the, you know, design and construction world, um, but, you know, the evolution of how design was developed, you know, from, um, you know, large hand-drawn blueprints to, you know, the, the early stages of mainframe computing and, and you know, uh, CAD drafting, and now into building information modeling. And I think the key, the biggest change from that whole process is, um, you know, the rate at which data can be created, um, which isn't necessarily good or a bad thing. It's just simply the velocity of information that can be generated. Um, and the challenge has essentially become information and data can now be generated at such a high velocity that, um, you run the risk of essentially wasting time or generating bad data or too much data. Um, whereas I think, you know, historically, the level of effort to actually generate information via a blueprint to hand draw, to sit down and do it, there was a lot more of a conscious decision in how am I going to actually create this and make it worthwhile. And you, the minimalist approach to creating, you know, succinct pieces of information, um, you know, was, was just by virtue of the process. Nowadays, I think it's, it's almost the opposite, right? Where um, you know, we can create, you know, tables upon tables and, and, you know, just databases full of information just with a click of a button. Um, and really the effort or the, you know, the, the, the conscious effort needs to be, you know, really pruning down what is exactly valuable um, and, and matters, you know, and can be shipped off from one system to the next. You know, so I think it was, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rick. 
Yeah, thanks. So Joe and, Joe and Zach said a couple of things that, uh, you know, really made me think, um, you know, depending on, on your perspective in the, in the world of a uh, life cycle of an asset, and, and perhaps, you know, as we're talking about operation and maintenance, right, um, <clears throat> technology is great, data is great, we're, on, we're all on this podcast because we all love it, right? Um, and that's, that's not a universal truth. Right. So I think one of the cautionary tales here is that, you know, we have to be careful um, when we see new technology and the, and the benefits that that can provide um, across an organization or an entity that, you know, we, we, we have to not tell people, hey, you need to collect this data because we need it. Um, it, it really needs to come from the perspective of, you know, we have this tool available that can make your job and your life easier. You can do things more effectively and more efficiently. And oh, by the way, it also helps inform lots of other stakeholders that have interest in this particular asset, right? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are, are frightened. Um, you know, you say data and they, they, a switch turns off, they're like, oh God, they're going to start talking about technology again. Right. And, and it's to them, it's not data, right? To them, it's information they need um, to do their job. And I think we have to be really careful to, to translate that in a fashion where, um, you know, all stakeholders of a, of a particular entity can, can, you know, feel what that system or software or technology is able to do from the perspective of, of making their life easier, their life better, and everybody else's along the way. Yeah, that's a great point, Rick. And, you know, it, it, it makes me think through just the, the changing times that we're going to start to see here in earnest as, you know, uh, we, we see more capital projects funded, uh, more dollars start to come in, and the, the complexity of the, the jobs that are let requiring a significant amount of, of workforce that, quite frankly, doesn't exist today. And we're going to need to both look at how we can leverage technology to, to work more efficiently and effectively with the staff that we have, but we need to be mindful of, you're right, how we train and communicate this to those staff to, to get their buy-in. But as new individuals are coming out of colleges and, and universities, they're leveraging these tools, right, Zach? You know, they're not leveraging, you know, punch cards and, and mainframes anymore, hopefully not. Uh, but you know, they're going to be expecting to, to leverage and work with inside this, this new common operating language and model that, you know, we're, we're talking about today and that, that that paradigm has really shifted from, you know, drafting tables with, uh, you know, ashtrays in them to, you know, actual, you know, AR, VR, um, you know, LIDAR-based data collection efforts and, you know, the, the new way that we collect and manage that, that vast trove of, uh, of data and information that's being produced, Zach. So I think we need to be mindful of it from both our, our current workforce and I think training and, and proper communication, you know, to, to Rick's point, really talking to the value for, for the user and, and, and what's in it for them um, on their terms, but also making sure that we're setting up agencies, um, to, to bring in and, and attract the, the best and brightest, right? So that we have those minds there to, to, to deliver on these looming complex and, and I think really fantastic projects that, that are going to be coming up here in the future. So uh, in an effort to kind of put a bow on this section, um, I'm going to uh, kind of uh, look at this again from the um, operation and maintenance uh, respect. So um, I'm going to ask kind of uh, Zach, Rick, and Joe, and Aaron from your perspective with 
with uh, customers that you work with, but within your organizations, um, what is the current situation with data availability with operations and maintenance? You know, so like, what are the challenges? Um, are, are there particular challenges that you're facing and, and do you have plans to, to address them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, at least at least in, in my world, uh, certainly we have challenges, um, you know, especially with a with a private operations and maintenance contract, you know, making sure that we have access to the types of, of information that they are uh, our operators collecting on the uh, on the O&M side and making that available to, you know, to the to the other parts of the organization um, is a challenge and it's one we're working on. Um, you know, we, we are certainly not in the place yet where we want to be, um, you know, but hopefully in the not too distant future, we will have a, you know, a CMMS, computerized maintenance, maintenance and management system that really allows us, you know, to, to look across an, an asset system and, and see relevant information from, from the O&M side that's, that's populated by our private contractor and having that available quickly and efficiently for people that are, are perhaps planning and designing a, a rehabilitation of that asset or whatever the case may be. Yeah, um, from, from our perspective, um, we're, I would say, in a pretty similar situation um, as Rick just described. Um, at both airports, really, O'Hare and Midway, um, we are trying to stand up an enterprise asset management system. We're in the planning stages of that currently. Um, without it, um, our kind of facilities and operations divisions, um, not always, but they tend to work kind of independently or in silos from each other, um, and are, are a bit old fashioned when it comes to how they share or interpret information from each other. Um, there's a lot of, you know, phone calls and emails being made that, that could have been documented in some kind of you know, long-term enterprise-wide system following consistent processes of, of information gathering that would help inform people, you know, years down the line of the activities that were taking place. So um, that's been, I think, our, our big struggle is the sort of different unique teams and their subject matter expertise and individual processes and procedures that don't always align with each other or don't have, you know, kind of easy um cross points with each other where they can share that information um so you know I, I i've witnessed that there's been kind of double or triple kit work that's taking place because you know maybe you know a person in a, a different division was not aware of some activities that had taken place so you know they redo them or they engage a contractor to redo them on our behalf um so there's you know some efficiencies that I think really need to be gained here by thinking more enterprise-wide and trying to standardize some practices across the uh, organization here. I'll say I'll, I'll echo the edge of sentiment. There's, you know, there's several anecdotes that come to mind, but it, it's, you know, uh, I think, you know, getting a central, you know, perhaps a single source of truth, um, but to, to get some sort of central, you know, way that information can be uh, made available, um, you know, is potentially a solution, but currently, right, is, is, yeah, there are, you know, a lot of stakeholders that really have their preferred tool, preferred method, preferred, you know, source of truth. Um, and 
we're at the stage right now from, you know, from my standpoint is, you know, the solution that I think we're all working towards um, isn't quite there yet that, you know, I'm, I'm at a little comfort to say, yeah, you can put that old tool down. What we've got now is absolutely better. Um, and, you know, because it's, it's understanding, you know, what those tools are. And that could be, you know, information stored in a legacy system. It could be uh, an old as built that may be incorrect, but it's been, you know, handwritten, modified to the point that it is, you know, the, the, the true source um, or it is, you know, at least uh, you know, usable um, for that for that specific group. Um, so I think, you know, working towards, again, yeah, some sort of enterprise level approach that you know, does take into consideration of the needs of all the different subject matter groups, um, you know, is, is what we're working towards. And I think we've got, you know, we've had a much clearer vision, you know, um, than we have, have had even, you know, 12 months ago as to what that's going to look like. Yeah, and you know when we're talking about that that single source of, of truth and, and an enterprise approach, you know we also need to balance against the the reality of you know existing infrastructure, you know dating back from the 50s and 60s, um, as well as as new projects that that are you know getting let and, and coming online. So you know while we might have a, a single end in mind um, and a single source of truth, we want that data to flow in. We need to kind of consider the different types of data that were that were ultimately wanting to get into that system before O&M can, can even begin. And maybe rather than taking a one size fits all approach, it's a, we're gonna do a, you know, before our solution approach. And if it's below ground, maybe that's different SU levels and, you know, confidence intervals that are in place. If it's above ground, maybe we have some type of a, a LIDAR data collect exercise and an AI that extracts the assets for us and loads them into that, that solution versus new construction that's going on, we have specific specifications and standards in place that help to transition that information directly into um, some type of an enterprise asset management system to help directly support O&M so there's no transcription or, or risk on the owner's part to, to do that. But really starting and, and finding you know, where your, your most areas of opportunity um, we don't want to necessarily move the cheese on somebody, but if it's going to provide a lot of organizational value, reduce risk, maybe that's an area to focus on first. Um, and then to, ex you know, slowly expand, incrementally expand into that, that larger enterprise implementation to, to where you can manage truly all of your assets and features, both legacy and ongoing uh, through, through that system. But to, to take it one step at a time and to, to look at the different asset types uh, accordingly. Well, this has been awesome, guys. So believe it or not, we are at, at the end of the first uh, first part uh, of this uh, series. So uh, everybody who's tuned in and watching this, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And the great news is, is we're, just, we're just scratching the surface here. So uh, next week, uh, come back again and, and listen to us as we take the same concept of data availability, the same topic, and then we're gonna we're gonna pivot into uh, away from uh, operations and maintenance into the planning and design. So, what does data availability mean to the uh, to the, the planning and design phase of an asset lifecycle? Uh, but until then, stay connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Construction Show. For more information, visit us at connectedconstructionshow.com.